I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Our text today is verse 14 through verse 21 in a message entitled, Empowered by the Spirit. In our emphasis on the Spirit-filled life, we've noted how the Spirit-filled life comes to us in power because of the finished work of Jesus. The focus is on the cross, the power of the resurrection, what took place at Pentecost and fulfillment of the promise of Jesus, and what life with God is really all about. God is the eternal triune God who reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without any division of nature, essence, or being. The foundation is that God is one in essence and three in person. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are co-equal and co-eternal. Now, just by way of review of where we have come from in this series on the Spirit-filled life, we first considered what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. When we trust in Jesus, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, brought from death to life, sealed for the day of redemption, and indwelled within. Second, we consider what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we will exercise spiritual gifts. We will display the fruit of the Spirit. We will grow in the likeness of Jesus. And we will share Jesus with others. Third, we consider what it means to be led by the Spirit. And how the importance of being led by the Spirit is so central to the Christian life. Because when we are led by the Spirit, that means we're going in the direction that God wants us to go in. And the only way that we are led by the Spirit is because we've been adopted into the family of God. We have assurance that we belong to Him because the Spirit of God is bearing witness to our spirit that we belong to Him. And we have the promise of being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And it's not promised to us that it will always be easy. In fact, We're told in the scripture that if we suffer with Jesus, we will also be glorified with Jesus. So we know in this sin-fallen world that it's not going to be easy. There are going to be many difficulties and challenges along the way. But God is with us and he'll give us the strength to get through. I think about the story of the early church and the miraculous things that they experienced and the way they saw God at work in their midst. And the one thing that always stands out to me is that they were a praying church. You remember after Jesus had finished his work on the earth and he ascended back into heaven, the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which was near Jerusalem, and they went to the upper room where they were staying. And they united themselves in prayer along with the women who were there, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And the day of Pentecost arrived. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, uh, they experienced the power of the Spirit. It was very evident among them. And many of the Jews who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover were able to hear the gospel after that in their own language. They understood it and they believed to the point that the Bible says when Peter preached the gospel that there were 3,000 people that were added to the church initially. The church in the midst of that devoted themselves to prayer. Thousands more came to faith in Jesus. And we read about 
uh, miraculous things like the lame man being healed in the name of Jesus and Peter and John ministering in, in boldness and in the power of the Spirit. Because of their boldness in the gospel, they were actually put into prison and then eventually released from prison. They go back to the body of believers and they pray for courage and the Bible says that the whole place shook. Once again, an evidence of the power of God in their midst. So when I think about all these things and uh, I think about the way that they prayed and I think about the way that they experienced the power of God, I ask myself this question. As the church today, should we not live in the same power and should we not anticipate the work of the Spirit in our lives through prayer? Or to state it another way, are you living with a sense of anticipation of what God can and will do? And are you living in the power of the Spirit? Ian Bounds said the little regard that we give to prayer is evident from the little time that we spend on it. But when we pray, the Spirit works in power in ways that we cannot fully comprehend. We cannot afford to operate in the flesh and just go through the motions in our own power. Because if we do that, we're going to run out of strength and we're going to get the results that we deserve. I read a little story that happened a little while back about a police officer who was driving a Tesla, which seems to be something common that's happening among some of the departments uh, nationwide. There's even one in our neighboring town here. And he got involved in a high-speed chase. And the last thing a police officer trying to chase down a suspect in a high-speed pursuit needs to happen is for the warning on their patrol car to say that it's running low on power. This particular Tesla had not been properly charged. Uh, This happened in Fremont, California. He's pursuing a suspect, a, a felony vehicle, and all of a sudden, after they were reaching these speeds of over 100 miles an hour, the officer radios in to dispatch. And he tells dispatch, I am down to six miles of battery life on this Tesla so I may lose it here in a second. Well, the suspect starts driving on the side of the road. The chase continues, and eventually he stops, and he jumps and runs, and they didn't find the person that they were in pursuit of. The spokesperson for the police department said, "Uh, we have no written policy regarding charging, but the general guideline is when you start your shift, it ought to be at least at 50% power or more. Now, I tell you that by way of illustration and ask you another question. Could it be that as believers and as the church, we commonly operate on insufficient power because we're trying to do it in our strength, in our ability, rather than through prayer and the power of the Spirit? Are the results that we're getting reflective of our prayer and our trust in God. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend 
with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's important to know that Paul wrote Ephesians from prison. He could have prayed for anything, money, clothes, food, relief, but instead he prays for the church, for believers, and he prays for the power of God, and he prays specifically for boldness in the gospel. So what I want to do in these few moments that we have together is I want to share with you how to pray and be empowered by the Spirit. How to pray and be empowered by the Spirit. First, pray and surrender to be empowered by the Spirit. We look at verses 14 and 15. Now, admittedly, there is not a right or wrong physical position for prayer, but there is a right spiritual posture for prayer, and that right spiritual posture for prayer is humility. Attitude in prayer is of central importance. Now, the Jews would often offer their prayers standing, but kneeling was also commonly used. In whichever posture they were, they would stretch out their arms toward heaven and they would pray to God. Paul says here that he prayed by kneeling before God the Father. His prayer was based on his knowledge of God's purpose. And I think his confidence was in the will of God. Kneeling reflected surrender through reverence. When he says that he prayed before the Father, literally that idea is toward or face-to-face with. So here's the idea. It's like a child coming into the presence of their earthly father, and they come with confidence and with boldness because they know that even though the father is in a position of authority, he's also in a position of intimacy. There's a relationship there. There is an understanding of closeness there. And he knows when he comes to his earthly father that he's going to be warmly welcomed and received into the presence of his father. And he comes face to face with his father, with his request and his interaction. That's the idea that Paul has given us here. And one commentator said that the name of father did not go up from us, but from above it came down to us. Now, there's something interesting here in this passage as well. As I was studying this, I discovered that uh, many Bible teachers actually have connected Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in the Old Testament with the kneeling prayer of Paul here in this passage. King Solomon knelt on a platform before all of the people, and he lifted his hands to heaven in prayer. And many parts of this prayer bear a strict resemblance to that that was offered by Solomon when he was dedicating the temple. But the idea is the apostle was not dedicating a temple. 
but rather the Christian church and the people who comprise it. There are a lot of examples of people praying in a kneeling position in the Old Testament. Ezra prayed on his knees. Daniel prayed on his knees. The psalmist said in Psalm 95 and verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. The Hebrew word for worship literally means to bow down. In the New Testament, Stephen prayed on his knees in Acts chapter 7. Peter prayed on his knees in Acts chapter 9. Paul prayed on his knees in Acts chapter 20. And Jesus prayed on his knees in Luke chapter 22. So we find Paul here giving us this expression of an inner attitude or an inward spiritual posture toward God, but it's evidenced or demonstrated by his outward kneeling to pray in awe of the truths of God's word and the nearness of God as father. Now, as the church, we are part of a family. God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We have this common relationship. Why? Because we have the same Father. We have one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So the concern is not just our position. The concern is our posture and our experience in prayer. There's a wonderful little classic book that I would highly recommend to anyone for spiritual growth and development by Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray wrote a little book entitled Absolute Surrender in 1897. It is a classic that is readily available probably available even for free online if you look. In Absolute Surrender, he refers in part to Acts chapter 13. And here's what Acts chapter 13, the first few verses say. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So they, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Barnabas and Saul and John Mark were all at the church in Antioch, and they had come back from delivering a gift of support to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Simon, uh, Lucius, and Manane were also there. They ministered to the Lord, and they were praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, listen, you need to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away on mission. And here's what Andrew Murray has to say about that. He said, the great lesson we learn is that the Holy Spirit is the director of the work of God on earth. And what we should do if we are to work rightly for God, and if God is to bless our work, is to see that we stand in a right relation to the Holy Spirit, that we give him every day the place of honor that belongs to him. And then in all our work, in all our private inner life, the Holy Spirit shall always have the first place. And then here's what Murray says. He says, the Holy Spirit has not only power, but he also has the spirit of love. He is brooding over this dark world and every sphere of it, and he's willing to bless it. 
And why is there not more blessing? There can be but one answer. We have not honored the Holy Spirit as we should have done. Is there one who can say that this is not true? Is not every thoughtful heart ready to cry, God forgive me that I have not honored the Holy Spirit as I should have done? That I have grieved him? That I have allowed self in the flesh and my own will to work where the Holy Spirit should have been honored? May God forgive me that I have allowed self in the flesh and the will to have the place that God wanted the Holy Spirit to have. If you want to be empowered by the Spirit, then you need to pray in surrender to be empowered by the Spirit. Second, you need to pray in dependence to be empowered by the Spirit. We look now at verse 16. He writes, I pray that he may grant you. Now, I like this word grant because it means to give freely. When we talk about the grace of God, one of the things that we talk about often is the superabundance and the overflowing nature of the grace of God. And to grant means to freely give. And the only way that we receive the riches of Christ are through grace, which is God's unmerited favor. And when we come to the throne of God, we're not coming as though we're worthy. We're not coming placing some type of demand on God as though we deserve that God would give us something. We're coming by the blood of Jesus, and we are praying according to the riches of his glory. Now, this is very important because it reminds us that when we pray and we kneel before the Father, we are doing so in recognition that God has the capacity to help us. That's why we're praying to him. He has the capacity to meet you at your point of need and to provide for you what you need in your life. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever your challenge or your circumstance is, you don't have to do it in your strength. You can pray in dependence on him and he will empower you. And we're praying according to the riches of his glory. Paul opens this very letter in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God to whom we pray owns the world and everything in it. He is the one from whom are all things and to whom are all things. And God is not just giving us from his riches. He's giving to us according to his riches. And when we think about supply or the sufficiency of something, we often think in some total. We think if 20% is taken out, then there's 80% left, and eventually it's all just going to get exhausted. But because God is infinite in his power, he is infinite in his capacity to bless, he owns all that there is, and he's giving to us on the scale and in the style of what he possesses. And he's doing it for his glory. So pray to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. Power is defined as the ability to act effectively and also the capacity to bring it about. So the power of the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And his power is infinite 
unlimited, and eternal. Now, don't miss this. The prayer is for power because the problems we face in this life are beyond our strength to solve them. I'm limited in my capacity. You're limited in your capacity. And I think too often we are operating in our strength and we get tired and we get weary and we get to the end of ourselves. And it ought to be that when we get to the end of ourselves, that's where we realize that it was never about us to begin with. But oftentimes when we get to the end of ourselves, that's where we really get discouraged. We really feel burdened because we're like, what are we going to do now? When what we should have done to begin with was turn to God and pray in dependence on Him to be empowered by His Spirit so that we would have never gotten to that place to begin with, we would have had the power that we needed. And that's what spiritual life is really all about with God. I love Robertson McQuilkin's work on the Spirit. He wrote many years ago uh, several things related to life and the Spirit. And he said this in part. He said, I want you to notice something about the Spirit-filled apostles. Every time a crisis erupted, every time a new opportunity loomed, or things didn't go according to plan, what did they do? They returned to their knees. And what did God do in response? He filled them with the Spirit. Then they preached with boldness, the life-transforming power. And God's Spirit filled the people. What do you do when a crisis erupts? Does a crisis immediately drive you to a place of anxiety and helplessness? Or does it drive you to a place of dependence? What do you do when a new opportunity looms in front of you? Do you try to approach that new opportunity in your own strength and try to overcome it by your own power? Or do you depend on God? What do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? Which, by the way, is most often. Does it break you down? Or do you trust God in order to be built up? The power of the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to turn the world upside down. They could not have accomplished what they did without power. See, I think Paul knew full well that it was not ultimately his apologetics or his hermeneutic or his persuasive ability that brought people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Now, those things are important. We, we, we need to get it right. We, we need to live and serve according to the word. But that wasn't ultimately what he was depending on. He said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4 and 5, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think this is a great temptation in the church, that our faith would rest in the wisdom of men, rather than in the power of God. We need to depend on truth and pray independence that we would be empowered by the Spirit. Third, pray in faith 
to be empowered by the Spirit. Let's look now at verses 17 through 19. The prayer is that Jesus will dwell in the hearts of the believers. That's what Jesus had promised. And there's a a couple of ancient words that were used uh, to carry the idea of living in. And one was the idea of a stranger living in a place temporarily, not intended to stay at all. The other was the idea of settling down in a place and making it a permanent home uh, and not leaving. And this is the sense of Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. That he makes himself at home with us. He's not just passing through. He's dwelling with us. And the glory of the indwelling Christ in your life is something that's to be taken hold of through faith. And in that, I think biblical faith is not passive. It is an active reliance on God and on his promises particularly for the impossible. If you trust God, you will obey God. If you believe that God's word is true and you can have confidence in him, then you're going to want to live for him. And Jesus made the connection between our obeying him and him making his home in our hearts through faith. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing can't do anything on your own. Now, what's he talking about? Oh, we can do some stuff, but nothing of eternal value. We can do all kinds of stuff in the church in our own strength. We can do it. We're able to do it. But you know what we get when we do all this stuff in the church in our own strength? We get the results we deserve because it's based on our wisdom and our strength rather than on God's wisdom and God's strength. And what we want to see is we want to see the power of God at work in us in such a strong way that it can only be said that it is of God, that our faith is in him, that God gets the glory. This is something that God has done. God has changed lives. God is transforming families. God is shaping us so that we would live for him. And what he says here is that we need to pray to comprehend and to know the love of God. And he mixes a couple of uh, metaphors here, if you will. Uh, One from botany being rooted and another from uh, architecture being grounded or built up in order to make his point. But the unifying principle of the Christian life is love. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said that all the commandments are, are summed up in the great commandment. And that is to love God and to love others. So here's what I think the invitation is, at least in part. It's an invitation to pray and to ask God to sink down roots into his love in your life. It is to lay hold of the love of God that is limitless. One of the things that ought to be abundantly clear for us in the church is the love of God. When you come and you, you worship and you hear the word and you pray and you do all these things that we do as the body of Christ, you ought to know that you are loved. When you leave here this morning, you ought to know that you are deeply loved by a God who is eternal and whose love is endless. You are loved by God. And you're also loved by God's people. And God is doing a work in you 
And the pinnacle of that work is to be filled with all the fullness of God. God's love is wide enough for everyone. God's love is long enough that it's going to last forever. God's love is deep enough that it can reach the most needy of sinners. And God's love is high enough that it's going to carry us all the way to heaven. So whichever direction you look related to the love of God, it is without end. And it's freely given to you in Christ. And he wants you to be filled with all the fullness of God. And the prayer is that God will completely fill every aspect of your life, your mind, your attitudes, your goals, your motives, your emotions, your relationships, every decision that you make, every path that you take in life, that it would be filled with all the fullness of God. And then I want you to notice here what happens. Strength, love, and fullness are deep theology that turns to doxology. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think this is an invitation to pray big prayers. I do. And the reason I say that it's an invitation to pray big prayers is because God has the capacity that exceeds our capacity of even asking or even imagining. And what's happening here is that synonym is piled upon synonym to emphasize the glory of God. And F.F. Bruce wrote that all generations emphasizes one age supervening upon another into remotest infinity, literally, unto all the generation of the age of the ages. This is what the scripture is indicating. Phillips Brooks, the preacher, said, pray the largest prayers. You cannot think a prayer so large that God, in answering it, will not wish that you had made it larger. Brooks said, pray not for crutches, but for wings. This is the life God is inviting us to. And I want to share with you fairly rapid fire as I close out here for the sake of time. Some practical ways that the Spirit empowers the Christian life. If, if we're praying to this end, what, what should we be looking for? What will be the outcome of this for us? The Spirit empowers us to be more like Jesus. That's what He wants for your life. He wants you to be more like Jesus. The Spirit empowers us to apply God's Word in our lives. After all... If he breathed the word out and he's the one who convicts and converts, is he not the one who's also going to help us apply it to our lives and empower us to do that? The Spirit empowers us to witness. I think one of the great evidences of a Spirit-filled life is a life that is willing to share Jesus with others. The Spirit empowers us to grow in our relationships with other believers. The Spirit empowers us to have hope, joy, and peace. 
And then finally, the Spirit empowers us to walk in the will and the way of God. I close with this question. Is your life empowered by the Spirit? Is your life empowered by the Spirit? If you don't know Jesus Christ, the answer is no. But you can trust him today. If you'd be willing to repent of your sins and come to Jesus by faith, you can be saved today. God will give you the gift of salvation in this moment and transform your life forever. But maybe as a Christian, you just kind of been going through the motions. You, you know you have been. And as I've, I've told you throughout this series, we're not here as consumers. We're not here as spectators. We're not here to go through the motions. That's not the purpose. We are here because we want to experience life with God, and we want to experience life with God collectively with the people of God. God, forgive us from from going through the motions and just doing the respectable Christian stuff because it's respectable. And may we come to the place in our lives where we are on our knees before God and we are praying big prayers. I am praying big prayers for this church. And I want you to join me in praying big prayers for this church. And you ought to be praying big prayers for your life because God's inviting you to do that. And he loves you with an everlasting love and he'll be with you every step of the way. We're going to bow our heads together and the band's going to come and lead us in a closing song. And I want to extend an invitation to you as we close out this service. I wonder if as we sing and after we pray, God might lead you just to come if you're physically able and you feel led by the Spirit to do so. Just kneel before the Father here at the front of this church. Just collectively to come as, as the band's playing and, and the song is being sung. Just to come and to pray and say, Father, this is my desire. This is, this is the Spirit-filled life that I want to experience. Would you help me? And I invite you to come, even as we begin to sing here in just a moment. And you come and you pray as the Lord leads. Or if you want to pray where you are in your seat and that's better for you physically, that's fine as well. Again, it's not the position, it's the posture of your heart. Father, thank you for these moments we've had together today. Thank you for the time of singing and praying and preaching. And I pray now as we close out that these truths would be deep in our hearts and we would experience the love of Jesus in all that we do and that we would live a spirit-filled life, that we would be a spirit-filled church, and that we would pray accordingly. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.